I want you to look with me tonight at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture that we could look at. And I'll be quite honest, there's things that I would like to have come and preached, but it's not what I want, it's what God wants for us tonight in this place. But in Philippians, as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he pins these words of encouragement to them, that I may know him. (laughs) I'm just letting it soak in. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Thank you, you can be seated. I wanna just break this down into just a few simple points tonight. And anytime you feel like coming and praying, I'll stop and we'll pray with you. But I, I want us to think for just a moment. Paul, of all people to pin this, the one that is responsible for possibly 13 books of your New Testament, which the majority were really letters that were written to the church. The one that had gone through trials, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonment, and finally became a martyr for the cause of Christ. Paul, the great apostle that had persecuted the church, but then had that that experience and how the Lord brought him up and raised him up. Paul, the one that spent that time in the Arabian desert conferring with no flesh but with the Spirit. Paul, the great man of wisdom, the man that spoke multiple languages, that was Hebrew of all Hebrews, but the chiefest of all sinners. Paul, not just an average person that knows nothing about church that has come into church. Paul, said that I may know him. Simple question. Do you know him? I mean, do you know him, Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? How how do you know him? We say a lot of things about him, But the question is, is do you know him? I didn't ask you, do you know somebody that knows him? I didn't ask you, do you know somebody that knows about him? See, there's a lot of things that people, I think they misunderstand and even in scripture they misunderstood. Do you know that it is possible to be near him and not know him? The thief on the cross, two thieves were there that we have the record of that Jesus died in the middle and one thief on the right, one on the left and they're there and the one, he railed against Jesus and the other said, dost not thou fear God seeing that in the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man talking about Jesus hath done nothing amiss. The other one, he said, if thou be the Christ Save thyself and us. He died beside of him, but he didn't know him. To be near him doesn't mean that you know him. To be in church doesn't mean that you know him. To be around godly people doesn't mean that you know him. It's possible to be near him and not know him. 
it's possible to speak to him and not know him. That same thief had talked to the Lord, but still he was filled with doubt and unbelief. It's possible to believe on him and not know him. The devils believe and tremble, but they're not saved to know him. It's possible to seek him and not know him. The rich young ruler came wanting to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. What must I do? I want to know you. Jesus said, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor. He didn't like that answer apparently because he's the only one in scripture that I read that met the Lord and went away sorrowful. You know why? He didn't know him. I am confident that we are in a generation of Christians in America that profess Christ today, that they know the church and they know the pastor and they know the songs and they know the routine and they know a lot about things about the Lord. But there's more to knowing Jesus than having a bumper sticker on your car. There's more to knowing Jesus than wearing a t-shirt that says, I know Jesus. Now, I'm not against those things. Don't misunderstand. I'm just saying you can have Jesus things and not have Jesus. There's more to knowing Jesus than having a picture on the wall. I remember one time an individual was dying and they'd called me to their home and I went to that home and, and when I was there, I talked to them about the Lord, but they didn't want to talk about the Lord, the individuals that were there. And finally they said, we just want you to come and pray a prayer and your prayer will prevail in the house and, and take care of them as they're dying. And finally I said, I, I can't do anything for them as they're dying. They need Jesus. You know what they said? It'll be okay. We've got a picture of him over the bed. There's nothing wrong with having, having a picture of him. There's nothing wrong with having things about him. But that doesn't mean that you know him. <laughs> let, let, let me put it in terms like this. The Lord is not concerned about about what you simply profess. He's concerned about what you possess. He's concerned that you have assurance in your heart that you know that you're right with God. I don't think you wait to the end of life and then you stand before the Lord and then suddenly find out that you're right with God. I preach and I believe that we can be saved and know that we're saved. I believe we can have a personal relationship with Christ that we can talk to him and know him and know he cares for us and the more that we look for him and the more we desire him, the more that we know him. It takes time to know him. We have to close the world out. We have to shut the things down in our life that's a hindrance to him. Maybe, maybe I can put it this way. I, if you've been around me very much, you know I love God's creation and I, I use creation a lot in my sermons because I think the Lord, when he was here, Jesus spake everything he spake. He spake with a parable to help them understand and the Lord also used the things that he's created to make the things visible, to make the invisible apparent to us. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about a zebra? You ever look at zebras? 
I don't know why I kept getting intrigued with zebras. I kept looking and studying and reading about zebras. You, you know, why would God create an animal like that with a horse with stripes on it? But yet we're mesmerized by them. They're so unique. We really don't know why they have their stripes. I mean, if you, you I know you'll go home and Google it anyway, so I'll, I'll help you. So you'll find that it's there when you go look for it. But uh, when you go and check out, you'll find out some will say, well, the stripes are there because when the herd is together with the stripes, it, it makes them look as one large pack as a single and it keeps predators away. Uh, some say that the stripes are there to prevent uh, insects like horseflies from landing on. They actually did a study. This is the truth. They did a study. They took horses in America and they put blankets over them that were striped like zebras. And the horses with the blankets on them got bit less by horseflies than the ones that didn't have the zebra stripes on them. So they say maybe it's there to keep the horseflies off. If so, I'm getting me some zebra and put in my backyard because I'd be anxious to get rid of the horseflies myself. But some will say that. They really don't know, but there's some things we do know. Do you know that no two zebras are striped exactly alike? The stripes on a zebra are as unique as the fingerprint on your hands. They're as unique as snowflakes that fall from the sky. No two zebra are exactly alike. We have DNA. DNA tells, tells them they can do a DNA study and no two individuals here tonight will have the exact same DNA. They can tell certain things about you, your heredity from your DNA, but no two will be exactly alike. That's what they say as well about zebras. They, they particularly notice the difference where the stripes come up around the head and come down on the face of the zebra. But did you know that when a zebra gives birth to the young foal, that the mother of that young foal removes that young foal? They're, they're, they're very active, very quick. A baby zebra can stand in less than 20 minutes after birth and can run less than 45 minutes after it's born. It can start running. So the mother's concerned that the zebra will get lost in the herd. And the mother will take the zebra away, the baby zebra, the foal, into isolation. And for two days, usually up to two weeks, however long it takes, that mother will not allow that baby to be around any other zebra. You know why? That baby, the only face that baby sees is the face of the one that birthed it. Stay with me. Because the mother knows when she takes that baby back into the herd that all the other zebras would look alike. And she wants that baby to know, I'm your mama. I'm the one that birthed you. And do you know how you know that I'm the one that birthed you? You have to learn my stripes. Can I tell you something? We need to know the stripes of the one that birthed us. I wasn't birthed by a stranger. There's a lot of ideas and a lot of voices in this world. And there's a lot of voices that will lure you in the wrong direction. And sometimes there'll be so many voices, but there's nobody that has a voice like Jesus has. There's nobody that loves you like Jesus loves you. There's nobody that can do for you what what Jesus does for you. He is the one that birthed you. 
You need to know the rhythms of his grace. You need to know his voice. Because if you know his voice, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And a stranger, they will not follow. The Bible says that in the end of times, that people will heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. And they'll not endure sound doctrine. How does that happen? How do people sit in fundamental churches that preach the gospel and suddenly they can leave and go somewhere that the gospel is never preached and feel right at home? You know how that happens? They don't know him. If you knew him, you'd know his words because he's the word made flesh. And he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory full of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You'll know him through his word. You'll know him through his spirit. We're born again, not only of the flesh, but we're born again of the spirit. And he that hath not the spirit is none of his. Can I tell you there is nothing like his spirit? You say, well, how do you describe his spirit? How do you know? Well, sometimes it's easier to know it's not him doesn't take you long to figure out when he's not behind certain things. There's an uneasiness in your heart. There's a peace that is normally there that suddenly it's gone. Take time to know the stripes of the one that birthed you. You're not your own. You're his. It's in him you live, you move, you have your well-being to know him. Do you know him there's a lot of strange voices out there I remember reading one time in a Christian periodical of a church encouraging to join their church and so help me this is the advertisement they had they said you don't have to come if you will send your money in we will put your name on a card and baptize the card And you're a member of our church. They've got thousands of members. Thousands of members. Let me tell you something. It takes more than having a card baptized. If that's all it took to be saved, Christ's coming would have been in vain. And his death would have been in vain. Don't forget the price that Jesus paid for us. And if you want to see how serious sin is, look at the price he paid to save us from our sin that I may know him. That I may know him. Do you know him? I actually, years ago, ran into an individual that in their church the pastor had taken the church and he was quite a golfer. I'm not preaching against golfing. Hear the whole illustration. He was quite a golfer. So he took this church and part of his pay package was a membership to a renowned country club that he'd always wanted to be a member of. That's why he took the church. Hey, go ahead and laugh if you want to. Truth of the matter is, they're no longer preaching, teaching and preaching that preachers are called. They're now teaching that it's just an occupation. Hey, this is more than a job to me. 
This is my life. Do you think I leave my home and my family and go to the places that I've gone and traveled and put my life in jeopardy? Do you think I've spent my whole life and spent all that I have just because, just because this is something that, that I just wanted to do as a job? This is more than a job. This is a calling of God. And that's why we ought to respect the man of God as he preaches the word of God because this is serious business. Serious business. This country club was so full there was one problem. The only tea time they had was Sunday morning. And the only time the tea time was there was when they had their service on Sunday morning. So he came up with an idea. This is, this is unbelievable, I know. But I've got to tell you, he had them make a life-size replica statue of himself. And he would record his sermon during the week. And on Sunday, they would wheel that up and play the sermon while he was out teeing off. When they told me about that, I don't know, I might not ever be back after this. They told me about it. One of the members said, what do you think about that? I said, that's nothing. There's a lot of dummies in the pulpit today. Anybody that preaches and teaches, you can make it any way you want to make it and you can get to heaven without Jesus, that's wrong. Anyone that tells you there's some other way that you can get in, you can buy your way in, you can work your way in. No, if you're going to heaven, you're going by the blood of Jesus Christ. It still takes the stripes of Jesus for us to be born again. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you told him today, I love you, Jesus? Have you told him, thank you, Lord, for being the friend that sticks closer than any brother? Do you know him? And not only to know him, but to know the power of his resurrection. That's the only thing that will do when you're dying. To know him. And to know this is not the end. There's a better place. I hold a, a uh, meeting. It's a preaching conference. Most folks wouldn't enjoy it. I love it. I think in uh, a lot of times in two or three days... I'll preach four or five times. It's nothing for me over like a three-day period to hear at least 10, 12, 15 sermons. Boy, I lost you there, didn't I? But they had, a, had an old preacher. And it's his testimony. But it's so good, I gotta share it. He, uh, he's way up in years. And he, he wasn't very good with technology. But his wife was sick, and he was old. And the thing about it, when you do this long enough, you start preaching a lot of funerals. And I don't know how it is in North Carolina, but in Ohio, the places we go, the cemeteries we go, you don't have cell phone service. And he didn't like that cell phone, but they got him a cell phone. 
And his grandkids were over one day and his grandkids said, we're worried about you. Please take this cell phone with you everywhere you go because if something happens to grandma, we need to be able to communicate with you. He reluctantly agreed and he said, even if you do, he said, I don't know, I don't know one call from another. He said, oh, that's no problem. We can put ringtones in. He said, what's ringtones? He said, well, everyone that calls can have a different, your phone will ring a different way. So they encoded different ringtones for different people. So they said, if it's a familiar sound to you, you'll know who that is. So they taught him, you know, each one of the grandkids had their own ringtone and his wife had a ringtone. And uh, he, he thought, well, this is great, but still he didn't hardly know what to do with it, but he obeyed them because he thought it would give them peace of mind and he took that with him. Well, the only thing is, if you're like myself and you're not real good on technology, and again, I'm not preaching against technology, thank God for it, but, but I've gotta be real careful. That's why I seldom bring this into the pulpit with me because I'm the world's worst at uh, silencing it. <laughs> and I don't want it to go off when I'm busy preaching. Well, he didn't know about silencing his phone. He went out for a funeral they got way back out on top of the mountain. And he had his cell phone with him. And he didn't think anything about it. He had that cell phone in his pocket and he thought, there's no way anyone could call me out here anyway. And he had that cell phone stuck down in there and he got to the place where it's time to commit the body. And he stood there behind the casket. The family's heart was broken. It was a tragic death, an unexpected death. The individual, it was just a sad situation. And they were absolutely heartbroken. He was heartbroken. And he got ready to, to commit the body. And he just started into the committal. And he said, inasmuch as God Almighty has taken unto himself the soul of our departed friend, and out of nowhere that phone went off. And of all the ringtones, guess what went off? There ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. I don't know if they can do it, but program it at my grave. And if you come when they commit my body, whether it goes off or not, I promise you, there ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Amen. To know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. For we have a high priest and that high priest is different from the Old Testament high priest. For our high priest is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. You know what that means? He feels what you feel. When your back aches, he can say, I know how that feels. They put a whip to mine. When your head hurts, he can say, I know how that feels. They put a crown of thorns on my head. When your joints hurt, he can say, 
I know how you feel. For my legs couldn't hold up my body as I gasped for air. When you have problems breathing, he can say, I know how that feels. Crucifixion, the main cause of death, is suffocation. That's why they broke their legs. But when they came to Jesus, not a bone was, it was prophesied, not a bone would be broken. So they thrust a spear into his side. Forthwith came the water and the blood. He says, I know what you're feeling. I know what you feel when you take a loved one to the grave. I've been there. I know what you feel when you watch your loved ones suffering and struggling. I stood in hospice one day. I was on, there's two rooms, the room with the bed and there's a little waiting room in each one of the local hospice rooms there where we minister. And I was in the waiting room and the nurse, I didn't realize who the nurse was at that time. She's the wife of one of my preacher friends. But they made a comment to her. They said, why are they struggling so? Why is this process taking so long? And she said, boy, this is profound. She said, I tell you why. Because God didn't make us to die. He made us to live. Now we don't have the new body yet that will not die. But this body still fights to live. God made us to live and not to die. So the body is fighting to live. But no matter how hard you fight physically, we'll lose that battle. But can I remind you, every pain we go through, everything we suffer, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. I just want to ask you, do you know him? Do you love him? I don't know, maybe I'm off base tonight. Do you know him? Do you love him? How much do you love him? We know how much he loves us. How much do you love him? Do you know him? 